listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. David and Goliath is perhaps the most well-known and well-loved story in the entire world. If you ask about Bible stories, it's probably going to be Noah and the Ark and David and Goliath and something about Jesus with a lot of misunderstanding. There have been many, many interesting reproductions of the David and Goliath story in the recent history of the movies. And I just want to go over a couple. You may be familiar with these. You may not be familiar with these. But take a look at this one. 2006, facing the Giants, South Georgia youth football put onto biblical proportions of importance. Sounds about right, right? Then we have this one, and I put this as a stand-in for about three to five movies in the past 10 years of poor CGI, terrible acting, a three of 10 on IMDb average, and this glowing review on Rotten Tomatoes for this one. This film is terrible, below amateur level mess. Its only redeeming quality is that the acting and direction and sound and writing and well, everything really are so bad it's comical. Your church group could probably scrape together $20,000 and do a better job. Avoid, unless watching a tedious train wreck is your thing. And that's where I announce our new campaign. We are going to kill this David and Goliath movie. Then we have this one, a classic, 1960, David and Goliath starring Orson Welles in Italian. It is an interesting take as they throw squids and fires, which you know, and someone gets hit by lightning. Not biblical, but interesting flourishes on the story nonetheless. Then we have this version. This is called the Kung Fu David and Goliath version, where this vaguely Scandinavian man, hairless, uh, threatens him in the Buddhist temple as it burns. Uh, And then we have this version. This is my new favorite I found. This is a 2012 steampunk uh, version of David and Goliath versus the aliens set the backdrop of World War I. Kind of a lot going on there. Kind of a lot of mixed, mixed metaphors all at once. And then last, my, my all-time favorite. This is a Malaysian adaptation, adaptation. And the subtitle reads in Malay, let me get this right, a meek churchgoer, Jay, tries to unleash his inner Goliath. Now that's a take. That's a take on the story. And while the story is so well known, the story is half told at best. The story being half told usually is something like the point is just believe in yourself, have confidence, and you'll slay your giant too. But that version would be like Batman without his parents being murdered by a common criminal. And if Batman doesn't have his parents murdered, Batman is kind of just a bored rich guy in tight black clothing with a thing for bats, um, which is much more a cry for help than a superhero movie. Am I right? This story starts in verse 1, but we're going to jump to verse 10 is it sets the scene for us of what's actually going on and what God is actually doing through David and Goliath. Verse 10 says this, 
And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul, who's currently king, and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. See, it's battle time. Israel is lined up on one mountain. The Philistines are on the other. Goliath is marching down to the valley morning and night, twice a day for 40 days, calling out, come fight me, winner take all. We'll avoid the war. Only whoever wins gets the land and the other people have to become their slaves. The stakes couldn't be really higher. And the word champion that it keeps using means the one who goes between or the one who goes before on behalf of. He is the representative of all the Philistines and he is calling out for the representative of Israel to come fight him. And whoever wins kind of gets it all. And King Saul has backed down from the fight. All of Israel is afraid. This has been going on and on. If you know your Bible well, you're hearing echoes of the book of Numbers here, which happened hundreds of years earlier when Israel sent out spies into the same promised land. They sent out 12 spies and 10 spies came back and said, oh my gosh, there's, there's giants in the land. We can't take the land. And so Israel cowers in fear and God punishes them for 40, days to wa- 40 years to wander in the desert. We're meant to see that we're revisiting the story. A descendant of those same giants in a way is standing here again on the same land, and here is Israel, afraid all over. And now the text tells us that Goliath is truly fearsome. He is truly a really big guy. He's either nine foot six or six foot nine, but either way, when the average Israelite from skeletal records is only five foot three, Goliath is much bigger than everyone virtually in Israel's army. Goliath's armor weighs a hundred pounds. He's not like skinny tall. He's like big tall. A hundred pounds of armor means he is a tank running around. And the Hebrew describes his armor as like snakeskin. That the plates are like scales of a snake sliding down his body. His spear, just the head of it, weighs 15 pounds. And that's on the end of this huge javelin. For comparison, an Olympic javelin, what the men are throwing in that competition is two pounds. This is a dude throwing at least a 15 pound plus sphere, rolling around, moving quickly, killing people in a hundred pounds of armor. He is a tank in the ancient world and an experienced warrior. And God's people have seen him and they're frozen with fear looking at this man. Enough that he could shout 80 straight times at them and nothing so far has happened. But then the action takes a strange turn. It kind of pans back out and zooms in on Daddy Jesse and his sons. And Jesse has an errand for his youngest son, David. Look with me at verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an FF of this parched grain to get some Cheez-Its, and these 10 loaves, 
and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. The brothers are at the front lines. In verse 18, also take these cheeses. Well, all right. So David, as we learned last week, is the newly anointed king of Israel, though he's a teenager and it's kind of a secret. No one really knew what happened. They anointed this youngest son in this interesting ceremony, but apparently dad was not so impressed because he's sending his son to the front with more or less loaves and cheese. If David picks up a tomato, he's basically the Domino's delivery guy. He's given ancient world pizzas to his oldest three brothers who are worthy to go meet the battle. And so little David takes the pizzas up to his brothers. When David arrives at the battle line, we see he drops his stuff off in baggage claim. Saul earlier went and hid in the baggage. David drops his stuff off in the baggage claim and heads on up to the front to find his brothers. In verse 23, it says, as he talked with his brothers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words of before, but something different happened on the 40th day. It says David heard him. It's different because David hears this and he hears that Goliath is not just challenging the Israeli soldiers, but he is challenging Israel's God. David hears the challenge and responds with faith towards God instead of fear towards this mere mortal man, no matter how much armor or how tall he is. And Goliath has challenged God by his words. And look what David says in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach, this antagonization of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David will be king one day. He'll even write big portions of the Bible in the Psalms. And the first words we ever hear recorded out of David's mouth, he hasn't spoken yet. This is his first line. He raises a theological objection to say, who speaks like this to the living God? With the idea that someone who speaks like this to God shall surely die. See, Goliath did not shape David's reality. God shaped David's reality. David's reality came from the scriptures because he knew God's promises from Genesis to Israel all the way to now. All these whispers, all these echoes, all these promises that God had promised Israel this land, had promised them a life in this land, and had promised to defeat all the pagan peoples who stood against them in order to fulfill this promise. And David calls God the living God. And it brings to mind a specific promise from Joshua 3. Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you. How will you know God's among you? That he will, without fail, drive them, the other pagan nations, the Philistines, out from before you. David knows the scriptures. David knows his God. And that means David already has a giant in his life, and it ain't Goliath. 
the living God is big enough for David not to be afraid of everything in his life, but to have faith towards a God who comes true on his promises throughout the scriptures. But then a little too true to life. Verse 28, David's brothers mock him. Look what it says, verse 28. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you even come down? With whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? Aren't you supposed to be out with the sheep? We're the warriors, not you. You're the eighth son. We're the big guys. I know your presumption. I know what you're thinking. I know the evil of your heart. For you've come down to see the battle. Eliab had totally missed. He's here to serve his brothers, to get him some food. He assumes David's heart, or maybe just doesn't even know his heart. He assumes David's here to watch the action, to see some blood spilled. And while Eliab doesn't know David's heart, God sure does. He chose David to be king explicitly because David is a man after God's own heart. Now, does Eliab hate his little brother? No, probably not. But Eliab certainly doesn't understand David. And isn't that the worst? And isn't that how it goes, fam? Have anyone here ever felt misunderstood? Everyone else showed up to a big day in your life and someone dropped a couple careless words that had the potential to ruin the day altogether. That graduation, that wedding, that big test day, that day of a birth, that day of a death, when someone just was careless and it felt like a dagger between your ribs. That's what's happening to David. He has a big challenge in the valley, but he also has a challenge with his brother closest to him. An eldest brother should probably have loved him the most and cared for him. He's kind of dropping bombs in his life. And I want you to know, if you felt judged by your family or close friends or coworkers, it is the closest who can hurt the most. But I want you to know that God sees you and sees your heart. He knows you and he knows what is true. And David's response is the best. Got any little brothers and little sisters out there? Anyone a little brother or little sister? Like six of you? Okay, now now like 60, great. You've probably said this before to your older brothers or sisters when they taunted you or criticized or went impatient. Verse 29, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. That's how you know these stories are real. They're too real. To say it another way, you can't be mad at me for breathing, brother. You can't be mad because I'm standing here. You can't be mad because you're cool and I'm not. You can't be mad because I just had a question. I just wanted to to talk a little bit. And if that's not enough, that his dad kind of treats him like a pizza delivery boy and his brothers are mocking him, now, since he's declared he wants to fight Goliath, he meets a cowardly king. King Saul, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine in the fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Verse 37, and David said, 
the Lord who delivered me from the paw of a lion and from the paw of a bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and Lord be with you. King Saul is all too happy to go from logically doubting David to just give him a little pat on the back and say, go get him, son. It's not a genuine Lord be with you and, and, and let's figure out how to win. It's a, well, go out there and get yourself killed. The king offers his armor, an ancient way of giving your calling and responsibility away. It highlights Saul's foolishness and even flippantness and his fear. Saul was the king of Israel. He was made to lead, defend, go to battle for Israel by faith in the Lord. And remember, he's also the tallest man, the most fit man, the most handsome man to do this very battle. This is what he's there for. Yet Saul's scared. And it shows that God's spirit has departed Saul because of his unfaithfulness to being king. And now that spirit has rested on David to lead. This is the evidence that David feels this responsibility that someone has challenged Israel, challenged the army, therefore challenging the God that I must step in. And David's empowered to fight here and Saul's power is waning, even though Saul is a successful military leader. God has been building David's faith his whole life, not to be some superhero, but just to fulfill his responsibilities by faith. He didn't go out looking for lions and bears. That was just part of life in Israel of tending sheep back then. David credits that the Lord has been delivering him through all of these things, helping him shepherd these sheep. And because God has promised to Israel that God will conquer their enemies, David is choosing to believe God at his word. He's choosing to believe that God will continue to be good. And he makes clear in his speech to Goliath later, it's not because of armor or weapons or trickery or any of those things that he banks his hope on winning. David has banked his literal life on the Lord God and nothing else. So David wanders down into the valley on behalf of Israel, doubted by all, mocked by some, a king in hiding. And here comes Goliath. Verse 40. His, David's sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. That's a guy who, you have so much armor and gear, you got a guy carrying it for you. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he had disdain for him. For he was a youth, ruddy, handsome in appearance. Talked about it last week. That doesn't mean he was exceptionally good looking. It means he was exceptionally young looking. His features haven't even really filled out to be a full grown man. He's still kind of a child's look. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath is making the same mistake as David's dad and David's brothers and the king of Israel that he judges David by his outside appearance. 
David is just a skinny teenager, a, a dirty shepherd in from the field, a pizza guy with a staff, a sling, and stones. And Goliath is the one who turns the conversation theological, saying, my gods will be triumphing over you today. And he says David's body's going to rot in the open sun and be pecked over by vultures, which is a cross-cultural sign of judgment that God has chosen against you for you to rot and be pecked at by the animals of this world. And in all this, we see David isn't scared. Instead, he trusts God at his word. David is this truly unlikely savior, unlikely champion who stands in between and on behalf of God's people, the mere to Goliath. And then David drops probably the baddest three lines in scripture moments before the fight of his life. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines. Everyone you know and love in the army shall die today. To the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assembly, everyone present, may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, not with armor and technique, not with all of your gear, but for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. In summary, David has no chill. David trusts the Lord in his promises. Your tools don't matter. My God matters. He will be the decisive point of the fight. And you have offended God. And so David steps in saying, I will now be the instrument of God's judgment upon you. You say, I'm going to get pecked at in the field. I say, you and everyone in your army will be the food of vultures. God will show he is the real God for the battle is the Lord's. Listen, church, our God is not weak. Our God is not dead. Our God will not be mocked. Our God is in it for his glory. He is in it for his people's good. He is in it as a witness to all the peoples of the earth that there is a God of the universe who is very, very much alive and keeps his promises always. So David starts to run. He picks up the pace, not running away like Saul, not running away like most of Israel. Instead, he's running towards the enemy and towards the challenge with faith in his heart. Verse 48, 
When the Philistine arose and came and drew nearer to David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Goliath loses immediately. The battle hasn't even started. Goliath doesn't even throw a punch. He's dead at however many yards they were apart as the two ran at each other. And the point isn't that David is so skillful to whip a sling and sling a stone. It's a miracle shot. It's a shot that at a break of a run, hitting a running target in a direct place that would kill this giant of a man. He had no shot, but God made this shot work and kill the giant. It's such a miracle. You will see the Philistines just start running. Imagine the stunned silence of their champion who's won from youth, battle after battle after battle, killing the baddest dude of every tribe all around the countryside. His whole life, decades of warfare, gets smoked by a shepherd boy in a field. Verse 50 says this, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David continues to run, stands over the Philistine, takes his own sword out, draws it out of his sheath, killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. They are done with today. They are rolling. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Verse 54, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, the home of the king. And he put his armor, Goliath's armor, in his own tent. And the author gets really graphic here to drive home exactly what's going on here in the Bible. David cuts this dude's head clean off with Goliath's own sword to drive home the point that this is an echo of God's Genesis 3.15 promise. And it's also a whisper of what the work of Jesus will be. Genesis 3.15 says this, right after humanity sins and falls into sin and all hope is lost, God gives us a promise. I will put hate between you speaking to the snake, speaking to the devil. Uh Uh-oh, why do they call it the snake armor? Because Goliath represents the devil here. I will put hate between you, the snake, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring, Goliath, and hers, all the people of the earth, but specifically receiving this promise, Israel specifically receiving this promise, Judah specifically receiving this promise, now David, the coming king. And he, David, he, one day Jesus, will crush your, the snake's head, and you will strike his heel. When David prevails over Goliath that day, he doesn't get lucky. He fulfills destiny. That all of Israel would know that God will be making due on this promise. 
that God has not given up on them and all their unfaithfulness and all the mess. Goliath shouldn't even be here. They should have conquered the Philistines a long time ago. But he is there. And God's still making true on his promises. That's why David takes the head. That's why he destroys and crushes him completely. This story is about a promise-making God saving his promise-breaking people. And that's the gospel, y'all. The gospel of grace is that God has made promises and your promise breaking isn't going to stop his good news, love, forgiveness, and graciousness towards you. David went into the valley to fight. And a thousand years later, David, Jesus, also born in Bethlehem, a direct descendant of David, he will leave the mountain of olives and enter Jerusalem in a valley. And David went in as the champion, as a shepherd to fight. But our champion, Jesus, will head into that valley as a sheep, weaponless, defenseless, and will lay down his life for us to win the victory that we so desperately need. See, in this story, you're definitely not Goliath, and you're not David. We are the cowardly Israelites. We are the people who need a saving. And the giants that Jesus destroys are the three big ones. He destroys in his death and resurrection sin itself, that you are forgiven for your sin by the penalty the substitute that Jesus pays on the cross from you, for you. He destroys the giant of sin. You cannot overcome your sin on your own. You cannot be forgiven of your sin on your own. But through Jesus, he conquers sin. The second giant is death. And through Jesus' death and three days later resurrection, when he rolls back a stone of his own, he conquers death for us that all who believe in Jesus will die, but will have eternal life through trusting in him. And the third giant that Jesus slays is the devil himself. Scriptures tell him by the death and resurrection, he disarms the, the authorities of darkness in the world and a killer blow is coming in a final crushing of Satan one day so that you don't have to follow Satan's schemes anymore. You can say no, you can walk away, and you can follow Jesus. As amazing as David's victory is, it doesn't bring anybody eternal life. It's pointing Israel and pointing us onward to say the true king is coming and he's going to save us from all the Goliaths and he's going to make all things new for us. Jesus is the true slayer of the giants. He's David's son and he's God's son and he is our true Savior, King. And the Christian life is responding to the victory of Jesus. Did you notice what happened to the cowardly Israel at the victory of David? Suddenly they weren't full of fear. Suddenly they were full of faith in what God had did, came running down the mountain to go conquer the rest of the Philistines. And in our life, we are called to come out of our fear of everything and come 
into the faith of our champion Jesus and run after him with a shout too. This world is still broken. The terrain is still difficult. We will have ups and downs. We will have battles we win and lose. But the greatest battle has been won by Christ the King. When sin, death, and the devil are out of the way, suddenly all the problems in our life can stay the right size. If sin, death, and the devil are done, then our big problems in life are kind of relatively small problems, and Jesus can be gigantic. Most of the worry in our life comes from letting our problems seem big and our Jesus seem small. And when we flip the equation to what reality is, that all of our problems of various sizing are relatively small compared to sin, death, and the devil, Jesus can be as big as he is, and we can trust him and run after him with a shout, no matter what happens in our life. And here's what I want us to do with this story, team. First, I want us just to remember God keeps his promises, even against unbelievable odds. The Israelites weren't just scaredy cats. Goliath was huge and he was a huge problem, but God kept his promise. Second, I think we need to deal with our giant problem of sin, death, and the devil. If you do not believe in Jesus currently, I adamantly beg you to believe in the King, to believe in King Jesus who rose from the dead and can slay sin, death, and devil in your life. Turn to him and believe. I can help you follow Jesus even this week or whoever you came with. Third, church, let's continue to keep our problems the right size and keep Jesus the right size and approach life from there. Don't let what seems to be a Goliath in your life determine your reality. Let God determine your reality. He's God and he loves us. And last, If you struggle to worship Jesus with a loud voice, maybe struggle to worship or care about physically worshiping him with your heart, maybe struggle to bring your body to worship, I just want to challenge you to think about this. Have you ever considered worshiping Jesus as the warrior king he is? That there's a moment that maybe your picture of Jesus does not seem all that worshipful. Is Jesus gentle and lowly as a sheep led to slaughter? Absolutely. But Jesus is also the Lion of Judah, the one who will judge all evil. In Revelation 19, with an iron scepter, he shall smash evil and he'll have a sword of his own. I invite you to realize, to imagine, to be present to, to worship Jesus as truly great and powerful as he is. A huge biblical theme is the divine warrior. That is who Jesus is. And to worship him as great as he truly is, is one day he will slay the final dragon and the devil. And he is worthy of our worship with our whole heart. Jesus is the greater David. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.